Friday, April the 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 33. Although scholars may debate about the exact day, there is no doubt that Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's a historical fact. And this day is the center part of human history. This morning we are going to look at the scriptures to hear what Jesus did, to hear the events that happened, but more importantly to learn from people who were there, who witnessed it, and who responded to what they saw. As you listen to me speak today, I want you to go back in time and imagine Friday, April the 3rd, and imagine the sights, the sounds, maybe even the smells of that awful day, yet a day that we still to this day, as Christians call Good Friday. This is the center of history, because at the beginning of creation, God created a perfect place, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He looked at everything that he created and he said, it is good. In fact, after he created Adam and Eve, he said, it is very good. But it was in that garden that Satan came in the form of a serpent and Adam and Eve sinned and all of history changed. In that moment, God came and he cursed the ground and he told the woman that you will have more pain in childbirth. And he said to that serpent, these words in Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. God, there in the garden, said to us, as he said to that serpent and to Adam and Eve, there is going to be a conflict. There is going to be animosity between you, serpent, you, Satan, and the offspring of this woman. And so as you read the Bible, it is a history of conflict between Satan trying to destroy humanity and trying to destroy the offspring of Eve and God who worked through all circumstances and worked through good and bad to bring us to this point in history. April 3rd in the year 33. This is the central part of history. Let's look at that day. On that day, there were many who were there who mocked, who were indifferent, who were believers, people who all responded to what they saw. Let's begin with those who mocked. As we shared the story last week, when we came to Thursday evening when Jesus was with his disciples, we also learned how the religious leaders hated the Lord. And how they schemed to have him arrested and tried and convicted. The religious leaders mocked Jesus that night and on that Friday. They mocked him because they did not see him as Messiah. They saw him as a blasphemer. And they rejected him, despised him, hated him. In fact, they were jealous of him. Today there are still people who mock the Lord. And people who mock him think that he's a legend or think that he was only a prophet. 
Maybe they think he was a good teacher, but nothing else. But there are people, when they hear the name Jesus, just hate it, despise it, mock it, or reject it. It's the same today as it was in Jesus' day. Those who mock. Besides the religious leaders, there were the crowd. Many of the crowd saw Jesus and they joined in, in deriding him. They said he, he could save others. Why can't he save himself? The religious leaders in the crowd, they came together to shout and say to the Lord, if you would come down off the cross, then we will believe in you. They saw a spectacle, but there was no belief. There was no change of heart, only mockery and disdain. There were others who were there whose opinion of Jesus wasn't so strong in hate. And I think of Pilate. He was the one to whom the religious leaders brought Jesus to be tried. Uh, Pilate was the Roman uh, in charge of Jerusalem during the Passover. And they brought him to Pilate because the religious leaders convicted and condemned Jesus to death. But they had no authority to kill him. They needed the Romans to do that. And so they brought Jesus to Pilate, and they didn't bring a religious argument. Pilate didn't care whether Jesus claimed to be a Messiah. They didn't, he didn't care about religious arguments, so they didn't bring that charge when they came to Pilate. When they came to him, they were trying to show that Jesus claimed to be a king. And as a king, he was trying to overthrow the Roman government. They believed that Pilate would be concerned about that charge, a charge of treason. But as Pilate listened to Jesus, as Pilate heard what the religious leaders were saying, Pilate just seemed really indifferent. He didn't see a, a traitor. He didn't see someone who was treasonous. In fact, he saw from the religious leaders envy and jealous, jealousy. So Jesus, excuse me, Pilate then decided, well, let me send you to Herod Antipas. Because Pilate learned that Jesus was from Galilee. And that was the ruler over Galilee. When Jesus came to Herod, Herod had wanted to meet Jesus because Herod, being from Galilee, had heard all about Jesus' miracles. But Herod wanted Jesus to do tricks for him. He wanted to see miracles just like he was seeing a performer doing magic. Jesus didn't do anything for Herod, didn't answer anything he said. And Herod, again indifferently, was just tired of Jesus and sent him right back to Pilate. Pilate again talked to Jesus. And the Gospel of John gives us more information about their conversation, about how Pilate was wondering where Jesus' kingdom was from. And Pilate was asking him about what is truth. And even Pilate there in the Gospel of John has a message from his wife to be warned about this man, Jesus. Pilate tried to encourage the religious leaders to let Jesus go. And Pilate just wanted to have Jesus flogged and release him. But the religious leaders refused to let Jesus off in that way. Pilate even tried to release another prisoner so that Jesus or this other prisoner, Barabbas, whom we'll talk in about a moment, could be released so that Jesus could be let go. The religious leaders would have nothing of it. Let's talk about this man, Barabbas. Barabbas is one who illustrates for us 
what the death of Jesus on the cross means. Barabbas was a criminal. He was guilty. He was a rebel and he was a murderer. He had been part of an insurrection. And in that rebellion, he had killed soldiers or killed men. And he was in prison for that guilt. Jesus, on the other hand, was perfect, innocent. And when Pilate offered the man Barabbas to be released, or Jesus to be released to the crowd, it shows us what the death of Christ means. You see, Jesus did not deserve to die. Jesus is innocent. He's perfect. He never sinned. Barabbas, guilty, a sinner, deserving death. And here the two stand. We're just like Barabbas. We are guilty. We have sinned, as the Bible tells us, all have sinned. And we stand there condemned to die, deserve to be executed, so to speak, guilty of our sin. And there's Jesus, who is perfect and innocent and holy. On that day, Barabbas should have been hanging on the cross. But it was Jesus who died in Barabbas' place. The same is true for us. We deserve death. And in a sense, we should have been hanging on that cross. But Jesus died there in our place. And so there are verses in the New Testament that tell us about this truth. That Jesus died for our sin and our place. I want to read to you from 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh. But made alive by the Spirit. And also in 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is what Paul writes. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear what the verses say? Do you see what Barabbas illustrates? That Jesus, who is sinless and perfect and righteous, has died in our place, so that we who are sinful and unrighteous may have our sins paid for and our sins forgiven And our guilt taken away. Just like Barabbas was free and let go that day. Even though he deserved death. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have been set free from our sin. And our sins have been forgiven. So when we see Barabbas, we see a beautiful illustration of what Jesus' death meant. Soon after Jesus was Taken and Barabbas freed. Pilate said that he was going to wash his hands of Jesus' death and his execution. Pilate gave in to the crowd who continued to cry, Crucify him! Crucify him! Even though Pilate continued to try to tell the people, Let him go. Pilate didn't want to riot. He wanted peace and calm over Passover. So he said, he's yours. Have him executed. And Jesus, on the road 
to a place called Golgotha or Calvary, the place of the skull is where he was sent. The Romans made those who were going to be executed to carry their cross. They wanted them to carry the cross to show that they were humbled before the Roman government, that the Roman government had the right to execute them. It's fitting that Jesus didn't carry his cross. Of course, he was beaten and he had been flogged. And by this time, he'd been up for hours and his body was brutally beaten and tired and fatigued. It would have been difficult physically for him to carry the cross. But much more than that, theologically, he wasn't guilty. He wasn't submitting to Rome. He was innocent. The only reason this was happening because it was the Father's will and he was submitting to the Father. He was the one willingly going to the cross. So it's fitting that it wasn't Jesus who carried this cross. It was a man, a human Simon of Cyrene. Simon is also an illustration to us of what Jesus' death meant. It's an illustration to us of how we are to live our life. You see, again, we are the guilty ones. We are to carry the cross. Even as Jesus said earlier in his ministry, he said in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9, he said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's how we live our life, in submission to the Lord. Following him in sacrifice and service. Simon literally carried a cross to the site of Jesus' crucifixion. We daily are to humble ourselves before the Lord. Acknowledge our sin and acknowledge His place on the cross for us. That is how we are to daily follow the Lord. So those were people there who mocked the Lord, who were indifferent. People like Barabbas and Simon who were illustrations of what Jesus' death really meant. When Jesus did come to the cross, there were many believers there as well as Jesus. Let's look at what happened in those hours there at Calvary and who was there to witness. There were women there who came because they had followed Jesus from Jerusalem, excuse me, to Jerusalem from Galilee. And they had been with Jesus throughout his ministry. In Mark chapter 15, we're told this there were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women followed him and took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. These women had come following Jesus. They were there with him when he came into Jerusalem on that Sunday. They were there with him probably when he was at the temple. They had been there with him all week. They were expecting to celebrate a Passover. Yet here on this Friday, they were witnessing the death of their Lord. They had taken care of him. They had witnessed his miracles. And now they were witnessing this dark moment. But they were believers. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. 
They believed that here was the Son of God. And they were completely devoted to Him, following where even the disciples did not follow Jesus. The disciples were scared. They were hiding. They had been dispersed. But there the women were, devoted to the Lord, watching. These women watched as Jesus was nailed to that cross. They watched as that cross was thrust into the ground. They watched as they saw Jesus beaten and bloodied, dying on the cross. I know we could spend time focusing on the physical abuse and the agony and the pain and the horror of crucifixion. But interestingly, the Gospels don't spend time doing that. The Gospels spend time telling us the meaning and telling us the people around who witnessed and saw. But nevertheless, there was Jesus in pain and agony between two criminals that deserved to die, but even they mocked him as the crowd and the religious leaders did. Until one of them realized that this man Jesus was innocent. And he even talked to the other criminal and said, Don't you understand? We deserve this. He doesn't. And so another believer there at the crucifixion, amazingly, was one of the criminals who was being executed. This man said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't it amazing that the two people closest to Jesus that day, one of them cries out in mercy, a believer in the innocence of Jesus. And Jesus, that very moment, forgives him, promises him a place in paradise. Another believer there at the cross. Also at the cross, the darkest part from noon until three. That is when darkness covered the land. And I believe this is when the the weight and the burden of sin that Jesus carried for all of humanity came upon him. We can't explain it in words. We can't put it in pictures. We can't understand with our emotions that dark moment. In some way, I truly believe that Jesus and the Father, in some way that we don't understand were separated in some way, or the, the, the unity, the communion they had from all eternity was different. I, again, I can't explain it. But it is true that the Lord cried out in those dark hours. And His words are recorded for us in Mark 15, where Mark writes this, When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And that moment, Jesus 
was at the darkest moment of his life on this earth. As I said last week, I believe this was the reason he was in the garden, praying, Father, if this cup may pass from me, let it happen. But he also prayed, not my will, but yours. And this is his submission to the Father's will, his sacrifice for our sin. Jesus also spoke other words as his death came closer. He made sure that his mother Mary was cared for. He said that he was thirsty. But right before, he said, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. He said these very important words in John chapter 19. John 19.30 says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. The, the words there in the Greek are testelestai. Important words because we found fragments of those words or that word on bills that had been paid. Paid in full. It is finished. Jesus wasn't saying that his life had ended, that it was finished, that he had died. He was saying that his mission is accomplished. Sin is paid for. Sin can be forgiven. Humanity can be reconciled to God. The penalty for sin has been paid. And it's been paid in full. We don't have to do anything ourselves to pay the price. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus doesn't have to die again, nor anyone else or any other animal as in the Old Testament. There no longer has to be a sacrifice. It is finished. Listen to those words and rejoice in this truth. That sins have been paid for and it is finished. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear that because so many times in our life, when we struggle with sin, we wonder if our sins are covered. We wonder if I'm going to be guilty. We wonder if God's going to hold me accountable for my sin one day. Yes, there's always consequence for sin, but also, at the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And the ultimate consequence, separation from God and eternity in hell, that does not have to await anyone because Jesus has paid for our sins and it is finished. Also there at the cross, as Jesus died, was another witness. And this witness became a believer when he saw how Jesus died. And that witness was a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier. And Mark 15 tells us this. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Right there it is. The statement of belief, witnessing the death of Jesus as he paid for the sins of the world. Truly, this man is the Son of God. That is the acclamation of belief. 
and is the whole reason that Jesus came to the cross and is the only really appropriate response to Jesus' death. It's not mockery. It's not, oh, whatever, indifference. It is belief. Jesus died, and relatively quickly for a crucifixion. In fact, that Friday was before the Sabbath, and so the Jews wanted the bodies off the cross. The soldiers came to break the legs of these men so that they would die quicker. But when they came to Jesus, he was dead. The soldiers put a spear in his side, and it proved the fact Jesus was dead. He wasn't unconscious, hadn't swooned, wasn't half asleep. He was dead. And there was one more believer there that witnessed and who participated and responded to what he saw. And that was Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph had a, a tomb where no one had been buried. He asked Pilate for Jesus' body. Joseph took the body, prepared the body, and put Jesus' dead body into a tomb. The women were there too to see the place where Jesus had been put. That's a very important fact when we come to next Sunday and talk about the empty tomb. It's time for you to respond to what you have witnessed. You haven't witnessed it with your eyes as it happened almost 2,000 years ago. But as you have listened this morning, you have heard the words of the witnesses and the account of the gospel writers. And so it is your time to respond. Are you one who's just going to hear it and say it's a story, it's a fantasy, it's a legend that people made up? Are you going to respond with, well, whatever. I'm going to go on with my day, on with my life. Jesus is just one of, of many. Or are you going to respond with belief? Belief. That's what I implore you to do, beg you almost to do this morning. This is the central day of history, the central moment that changed everything, and the central fact that changes your life. Jesus says this to us. He reminds us that we are sinners and we deserve death and we deserve to be separated from God forever in hell. And we can't even do anything to make up for what we have done. But Jesus says, I love you. I died for you. I died on your, in your place on the cross so that your sins are paid for. They are forgiven. Jesus offers to us a gift, a gift of eternal life and a relationship with him that will last forever. He says to accept this gift, believe. Believe you're a sinner. Believe I died for you. Believe I rose again to life. Believe in me and no one else. This gift is yours. An eternity is spent with Him, the Father, in a place 
that will be not only very good like the Garden of Eden, but will be perfect beyond imagination. It's your time right now to respond. If you are a believer and you have believed for a short time or a long time, I want you to do this also this morning. Pray for those who mock the Lord, that the Holy Spirit would change their hearts. There are many today who are indifferent because they're ignorant. They don't know. They don't know the name of Jesus. They don't know the story of the cross I've just shared with you. Tell them. Tell them the good news of what Jesus has done. And if you are a believer, take time right now to contemplate the depth of your sin, but the grace of God. Think about why we call it Good Friday, although it's filled with death and horror and mockery and ridicule. It's good. Because the grace of God was greater than any sin. And it's good because our sins are forgiven. And we have been reconciled to God. And we can live a life that's filled to the fullest with purpose for our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Think about that. Give thanks to the Lord for it this morning. And allow it to... Change your life each and every day and focus your life every day towards Him. It's time to respond as I pray. Lord Jesus, we've heard the story of the most important day in human history and have heard, Lord, how You died for us. And I've said it many times this morning. So my prayer is simple now. That those who are hearing and watching would respond in this way, with belief, gratitude, thankfulness. I do pray, Lord, for those who continue to mock you. I pray, Lord, you would change their hearts. I pray that you would help us to be bold in telling people about the goodness and the good news that you give. So I pray these things, Lord, and pray in your precious name, Jesus, our Redeemer, and Lord. Amen. It's time for you to respond. As we sing, sing to the Lord, but also say yes to Him and what He has said to your heart this morning.